So when I think about mental health, I think about being all you can be. And, and, and uh, or, you know, Keyes called it flourishing. And it's just making the best use of your, your, yourself and what you've been given as a human um, in the context you're in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ikigai Project. In this episode, I speak with Michael Houston and Dave Redekop to talk about the intersection of careers and mental health. So continuing on with this season's theme, we're going to add another layer about how career development is actually the bedrock of mental health. We spend so much time with our colleagues and in the work that we do every day. This is a really interesting conversation that we have with with two people who have spent their almost entire careers in this field. Dave is the president of the Life Role Development Group and has been an avid champion of career development since 1988. He also holds a PhD in educational psychology from the University of Alberta. Michael has long been involved in the career development field as a counselor, practitioner, trainer since the early 1990s, um, and he is currently a uh, psychologist and associate professor at Mount Royal University in Calgary, Alberta. There's so much knowledge that these two uh, friends uh, share with me over the, the hour or so conversation. And we talk a little bit about how they arrived at their career at this intersection of career development and mental health. We talk a little bit about building a more nuanced path with our own career developments. And Michael and I even do a little bit of a, a mini coaching conversation in the call. And we talk about fun in our careers. What does that look like? Um, there's a ton here. If you're interested in, you know, thinking a little, a little bit more critically about how your career can support your mental health, and Michael and Dave provide a ton of useful resources throughout the episode that I put into the show notes. So I really hope you enjoy it. And um, without further ado, here's the episode with Michael and Dave. Well, thank you, Michael and Dave, for for being on the Ikigai Project. I'm really excited to have you here. Uh, both of you came through an introduction through my career coach, Andrea Fruling, and uh, she had nothing but great things to say about both of you, about your work in mental health and career development, which is such an interesting kind of intersection of two seemingly disparate areas, but there are very strong connections. I'm really excited to explore with both of you. But before we do, I kind of like to learn a little bit about the origin stories of my guests. You know, what was it like growing up? Where did you grow up? Um, and any maybe transformative experiences that you had at an early age that has kind of created that track for you and where you are in your life right now. Um, so, Michael, not to put you on the spot to be the first uh, one, but can I can I do that? Yeah, for sure. How did I end up um, here? And I guess and how, how like what what brought us to this podcast right my uh my uh my growing up i grew up in northern alberta i was born in uh in uh ontario my dad was with the rcmp but we settled in in northern alberta and uh, he retired to to uh to farm and it was a rule in the family that we'd go off to university and so the nearest city was edmonton so at 17 i left the farm and i went to school in edmonton i studied psychology and when I finished psychology, there was no work in psychology with an undergraduate degree. So I moved furniture for a while and uh, I got tired of that and decided I, I needed something more. And in the, the back of my mind, it always been the idea of doing something, uh, an extension that included counseling or working with people to, to help them. 
at the time, I didn't know it was going to be career focused, um, but I, uh, I moved to Calgary uh, just on my own and I started taking courses at the USC. And that was 1993. No, it was 19, 1987. And uh, I finished a master's degree in 92 and uh, registered as a psychologist the year after. And um, and just the, the chain of events that unfolded, I ended up uh, uh, kind of freelancing for the University of Calgary doing career development work. Initially, I had taken courses in career development, but that really uh, became the focal point for most of my work. Is has over, over the over the I've been I've stayed in post secondary. I work at Mount Royal University now, and the focus of my work has always um, has always uh, been. Uh, career development. I do personal counseling as well, but the majority of my work is focused on uh, helping students with uh, with career decisions. And then one of the things that that has this part of the story. I'm going to tell you, but one of the things that happened uh, uh, after I graduated and I was looking I was looking for a place before I landed in post secondary was I was referred um, to introduce to Dave. Actually, I think Dave. I'm thinking that's around ninety three. Mm-hmm. And I started working with uh, with his, with the organization he was with at the time, and it was to teach career practitioners about career intervention. and uh, And I have that relationship we've have uh, maintained over the years. I still I still uh, uh, work with Dave, and uh, and the projects over the years and what we're doing now evolved out of conversations that started when we were working together, uh, continued to work together five years ago. And we started talking about, um, I think over. I think we we're in Lethbridge, Dave, or Medicine Hat. When I can forget now, <laughs> but uh, over dinner we we're talking about our work. And one of the things that uh, that happened it was at the time of uh, of the kind of the start or the uh, the onset of a huge mental health movement in post secondaries, and, uh, and it's an important, it's vital, and it's an important concern, and we need to deal with it. But one of the questions at the time was, um, I think it was happening everywhere, but it was happening where I was working. One of the questions was, well, shouldn't we just pour all our resources into uh, mental health and, and this career career function? Let's sit that aside and just tackle the mental health issues. And, um, and uh, we were so certain, and Dave and I in particular, that that was a misguided way of looking at it. And so that I think that was the start of really, really trying to, to pull pieces together that would say that uh, career development is mental health intervention. And so it, so it gets us to this point and it's taken us a lot of other directions in the, in the, uh, along the way, Peter. Now, so, so that's the, that's the career part of it. And, and then along the way, I, um, I think this is important. I, I'm not sure, but along with just have have always loved music, and I could continue to to play in bands and to to be fascinated with guitar and to buy guitars and to be consumed by by that part of my life as well. And it ends up oddly somehow being important to doing this work, right? to having having other things that I that I'm really invested in. Have a family life. Uh, I'm I'm talking to you from Calgary. Have a family life uh, here. Um, and, uh, and it seems like it's all coming together with this career development and mental health focus being, being part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Uh, and congrats on almost 30 years now of, uh, knowing each other, you're, you're, you're mm-hmm. coming up to, to that mark. That's 
beautiful. And, and it seems like you guys really have a strong friendship and, um, you know, work relationship as well, which is beautiful. Dave, tell us your origin story. Okay. Well, it was a dark and stormy winter night in Winkler, Manitoba. Actually, it wasn't. It was cold. It was February, uh, February in Winkler, Manitoba, a small town um, at the time, but now a small city. And about 10 years ago, the only city in Canada with a 0% unemployment rate. That was its claim to fame. But anyway, we, we moved when I was two. So I, you know, I, I don't really have a connection to Winkler. We moved to Winnipeg. I grew up in Winnipeg. Uh, went to do my undergrad there. And uh, the, the whole intention for me was to be in education. My dad was a teacher. My mom had been a teacher. Um, uh, both were musicians, but I had no musical talent. So that was out. And um, um, so I, I went to uh, university to, to get a Bachelor of Education. I was going to teach physics and mathematics because that's what I did well in high school. And uh, um, ended up discovering psychology. And I, I knew nothing about psychology, but I had to take it as part of a B.Ed. And it was just utterly life-changing, partially because it was super interesting, and partially because I had sequentially two brilliant professors doing these introductory courses, which is really rare. And um, I, I was just spellbound. And so I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll do psychology and a Bachelor of Education. So I ended up getting both. But the, the psychology went over, and I ended up going to grad school, in, and that's what brought me out to Edmonton, was to do a master's degree uh, in counseling, uh, and not because I wanted to be a counselor. I, I actually wanted to be a, a personality theorist at some point. That was the plan. Um, or a developmental psychologist, if, if I couldn't figure out personality stuff. And um, anyway, I, I do a master's degree, and... I couldn't get a job after a master's degree. So with about 24 hours before it started, I quickly applied to U of A's PhD program. And because they knew me and they had a seat available, they went, yeah, sure. You're pretty harmless, right? Well, we'll get you in. And uh, I did a PhD. And in that PhD, there was one required course that everybody had to take in this uh, educational psychology PhD. And in that course was a, a fellow named Chris Magnuson, who is, um, be, um, well, he's now a professor at, at Simon Fraser University, but until this last summer, um, was the dean of education at Simon Fraser. And he was really interested in career development. And I, I thought, like most grad students did, was, you know, that career counseling was something you did if you couldn't cut it as a real therapist. You know, like we, we just all dismissed career development. But not Chris. He, he thought it was super important. And I was fixing vending machines at the time. That's how I paid my way through university. And he said, you know, I can pay you better. I, I need some writing done. And, uh, I, and he paid two and a half times what Hudson's Bay Vending paid me. So, man, I was in. And uh, I just fell in love with what, what he was doing over at uh, this place called the Center for Career Development Innovation, which he and a fellow named Barry Day had created. And I was just hooked, you know, um, within a couple of months. And it was interesting because my PhD dissertation had been dragging on for a couple of years. And once I realized there was something useful to do out in the world, man, I, I think I wrapped it up in about nine weeks. 
and uh, just quickly wrote the rest of it uh, so that I could actually get to work. And what I found in career development was that, like most Canadians, um, us grad students totally misunderstood what career development was, right? We just thought it was all about, well, yeah, help people, you know, figure out, are they a realistic type or an investigative type or an artistic type? You know, you put them in some sort of pigeonhole and then match them up, right? Which is absurd. Um, but we didn't know it was absurd. We thought that was good practice. And uh, found out career development's really intricate and interesting. And to do career development well, you you have to do everything well around psychology and sociology and understanding the economy. And, and mm. so it was this kind of endless playground for um, interesting ideas, interesting ways of looking at things, because there's nothing that doesn't fit. Right. Mm. Like, you know, I can read the business section of a magazine and, or, or newspaper and see career development everywhere. Uh, I, I can read the, you know, the news stories and see career development everywhere. Like it's just everywhere. So anyway, that got me um, with the, the center. And uh, we did all these kind of interesting projects that um, uh, eventually um, led us to uh, create a, a private company uh, that, that did the same sort of work. And it was actually on at re the request of the organization that it was all very amicable. And, um, and I've been doing this since 1980. I started with the center in 1988, a very long time I've been doing this. And um, I've had maybe five bad days at work. You know, wow. like it, it's fun. It's interesting. And uh, there's just so much to do and so much to explore. Mm. Now, just to bring it back to mental health and then I'll be done is um, oddly enough, my, my master's thesis was uh, on conceptions of psychological health. It was a theoretical thesis and, and I was quite interested in what health actually was psychologically because um, it, it, it's just an interesting concept. Um, but that is not why I got excited about career development. That just circled around way later I mean, mostly because of what Michael just talked about is people seeing that you do mental health work or you do career development work. And to me, no, no, career development is a bedrock of mental health and everybody's just taking it for granted, right? Like mm -hmm. this is why career development and career counseling started. Um, like the whole idea of guidance, for example, back in the thirties, you know, um, it, it was almost taken as an, a given that if you could help young people choose the right kind of work, they would be live more satisfactory, healthy, healthy lives. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, everybody just sort of takes that for granted. And what, what Michael and I have been trying to do is spell that out. What does it look like? Um, how do we know for sure it's happening? Uh, how do we know that uh, when, when we're really promoting mental health and when we're not and, and potentially when we're, when we're damaging it. Right as as career development practitioners. Mm -hmm. Oh man, so many great questions that you added on right there at the end. That hopefully we can get to all of it before we before we uh, end the conversation. But um, thank you both for sharing that, um, Dave. As you were talking, um, it struck me that is, is quite interesting. Is you know you were quite good at physics and, and kind of the science and math. And you were going to be a physics teacher. That was kind of where you were thinking you were headed until you discovered uh, psychology. And that shifted your trajectory in your, in your life. Um, 
this is a question for both of you, but maybe Dave, you can start. Um, what, what were some of those transformational moments in your kind of youth and early adulthood that looking back now have directed your, your life or, or things that you learned about yourself that have been core and true to you that now you're, you know, it's, it's part of that, who, who you are and your identity, if that makes sense. Long-winded question. <laughs> Please feel yeah. free to take it anywhere you want. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take a stab at it because it it's a complicated answer right now. I'll try and leave as much of my psychopathology out of it as I can. But, <laughs> you know, because it, it is about, um, uh, for me anyway, a lot of when I look back on it, it was, you know, partially how I was raised and how I was taught and what I was taught to even think about or question. And so this idea of being a teacher and being an educator, that actually was kind of crystal clear, even though it was um, all this parental influence, the, the thing that made me want to be an educator was having a brilliant, brilliant grade six teacher, like mm. utterly brilliant. Um, and I just thought, man, if I could be like him and do what he does, that would be a life worth living. And I, I remember thinking this in grade six, like this is this is exceptional stuff. He was so different from any other teacher I'd ever had. And I'd had really good teachers. So that was that was part of it. And, um, you know, the whole physics and math thing, um, it, it was, you know, once that it's interesting, right? Like once that little course was set for me, I was going to be a teacher, then it really was an issue. Of, so what should I teach? And physics and math just came naturally. So it, it like to my little belief system, that was okay. I'm going to teach and I've got two things that I'm good at. So let's put those together and off we go. And it wasn't terribly reflective, actually. Like um, it was just, yeah, putting two pieces together and then sort of assumed, right? Like I never I didn't do any research on what teaching was like or even how much teachers made. It was just all a done deal. And What's interesting, and it's an idea that John Krumboltz, a very major theorist who just died recently, um, had, was we have these belief systems when we're young, and I sure had them, um, but we never tell anybody, right? Like, I just knew I was going to be a teacher, and I knew I was going to teach physics and maths, but I don't remember ever telling somebody that, nor do I remember anybody asking. And... and um, and so there was nobody who could challenge me and go, well, what about this? What about that? Right? Like, you know, it's just an interesting thing looking back on it. Anyway, and and um, uh, the the in in university, yeah, being good at physics and math was was super helpful. And then I discovered quantum mechanics. Mm. Well, that's the weirdest thing ever. Like that was a, you know, when I realized, hang on. The universe is not simple, right? Like this, you know, force <laughs> and mass and acceleration. No, that's just trivia. Like, like getting down to the, the roots of the universe, that that just was mind-boggling to me. And I also didn't get it. Like, I, you know, I had great difficulty with it conceptually. I had great difficulty with it mathematically. Um, and all of a sudden everything's in doubt, right? Like here's this kind of assumed career path for since grade six, and now it's all kind of up in the air. And, and that, that got me kind of worried, um, in a big way, like, like existential crisis kind of worried, right. And, and thinking, well, what is my meaning? What is my purpose if I can't teach? Um, and then of course, because I never really thought it all through, I had no idea of a backup plan. 
right? Like, why would I have, right? And so my immediate thought was, well, luckily I can fix vending machines because I was doing it back then too. And, um, and did seriously think about a career in vending and what that would look like, right? Mm. But again, the, like just such limited options, you know, because we didn't have career education in my school. And um, um, yeah, it, it was just a, all was sort of these linear fait accompli career paths back yeah. then. And if, if one didn't work out well, you just take what you could get kind of mentality. So yeah. yeah, that was huge. But then all the other pivot points were around brilliant people I met, you yeah. know, whether it was Chris Magnuson or these great psychology professors or, or whatever. And I've tended to follow the people, um, over my path more than the topic or, or the discipline since like I, I got conscious about that in undergrad. Mm. Well, thank you for sh- sharing that. I, I love the kind of analogy that you brought up between, you know, uh, it's almost like, you know, in middle school, high school, we learn algebra and then we graduate, go to university and we discover quantum physics and it's just the complexity of what's out there in the world just changes and the same analogy as you're saying is this is happens in career development you know it's kind of black or white do i become a teacher or not doctor or not and um then we discover a world that's so much more nuanced and there's so much more gray area that that we can explore so um I'd love to return to this topic because I know this is kind of the meat of our conversation coming up in the career development space. But Michael, how about you? What what was like a, a transformative experience for you that you remember that um, kind of reflecting back has shaped who you are and what you do today? I think I what's like the, there's been a lot of uh, random chance. I think Peter, and then I think uh, I think of the environment responding to uh, to things that I could do. You know what what came to mind? I, I remember um, as an undergrad walking walking back from class to I lived in residence, walking back to the residence, and uh, and I did have a picture of my mind uh, as a psychology undergraduate student of uh, I didn't have it all worked out and. Uh, but but I had a picture in my mind of of uh, working with people during the day and playing music at at and that's sort of this, this this idea right of these parts of my life that were important to me and that sort of that idea sort of uh, um, just has unfolded I just have had opportunities to to uh, to to do work and it but it but like Dave said it's always been about um, about the people um, I have, have made always decisions in the direction of working with uh, with people I was uh, I was interested in uh, more than the more than the specific topics and uh, and uh, so um, it's it's been uh, somehow it unfolded has been just being around people that are that are uh, that are, are doing doing work that I really respected and who are approaching things uh, in in a way that I hadn't hadn't seen before. I was, I mean, that university is an amazing uh, uh, growth experience for for every, for everyone. Everyone that goes to university is going to change, and they're going to um, they're going to change in their relationships and their understanding of the world and their vision of the future is uh, going to change as well. And it's this amazing opportunity to meet. Uh, people that are that are uh, that are going to inspire you and when I, I think about um, like one of the, one of the places I go with uh, I, I, with the career clients is to uh, at least ask that question like when, when have you felt this way um, you saw someone doing their work 
And, and for a few moments, you had the feeling of, I'd love to do that. I'd, I'd love to go every day and, uh, and do what they do. And I, I had lots of those along the way. Um, but how, how I think about it now is uh, th- those are not, um, those aren't whimsical or insignificant. They really, they reflect some alignment between you and the, and the person, the person. And it's about, you, you care about some of the same things uh, that they care about. And you're interested in, in some of the things that they're interested in. Uh, and, and I think you, you get the nuances of what they're doing and how they make a difference because you have some of that as well. So I, I'm always interested in that. And I think, I think, uh, that has been guidance. I saw people, people that really respected, and I had those kinds of feelings, Peter, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but the feeling I had, uh, that guided me was I'd love to do that. Mm. And, uh, and it's, uh, and now I understand uh like what i'm saying that there's there's a lot underneath that feeling it's it's actually it's a very very complex reaction Mm. um to to want to do what someone else is doing yeah i i love that there's there's an element of trusting your gut right like and listening to Mm. your emotions that sometimes it's really hard for us to do because we're a very thinking process oriented society so I love, I love how your reflection pulls out, you know, just listening to yourself um, and helping that guide you. Um, we've got two really big topics that we want to cover today. And so I want to make sure we have plenty of time to talk about that. Um, and, you know, uh, for this season of my uh, podcast, we're focusing on the topic of mental health. And I just want to start there as maybe, you know, uh, a a grounding point in which career development, I'm sure, will kind of ebb and flow into it. Um, But I just want to start off with understanding the difference between mental health and mental illness, because both of those words can often get construed as like the same thing when they're not. Um, So, Dave, what to you, you know, what what's What's mental health and, and what's mental illness? Okay, in a nutshell, um, uh, what, what, what we're seeing, and, and, or what I'm seeing, um, but what's also in, in the work we've been doing is, is a model by a fellow named Corey Keyes, who in the mid-90s sort of asked that question, how are these two things related? Because typically they've been seen on one continuum right, with mental illness at one end, mental health at the other. And Corey Key said, but hang on, don't you know folks who are actually pretty healthy, do pretty well most of the time, and yet have a diagnosed mental illness, like OCD or schizophrenia or, or whatever it is, right? And, and so he said, what, what if they were, what if mental health uh, was on a different axis, you know, kind of a y-axis and, and mental illness was on an x-axis? So that you could have no mental illness or high mental illness, you know, a diagnosed problem. Um, but you could also have high mental health or low mental health, where high mental health is, and, and this we're going to come back to, it gets complicated, but, but is a whole constellation of uh, things that have to do with, you know, feeling meaningful and feeling purposeful and feeling like you're part of society and you contribute to it. Um, sort of, you know, that Abraham Maslow idea of being all you can be, right? And, and uh, um, so when I think about mental health, I think about being all you can be. And, and, mm. and uh, or, you know, Keyes called it flourishing. 
And it's just making the best use of your, your, yourself and what you've been given as a human um, in the context you're in. And, and uh, whereas mental illness, I, I just see more as this is like um, potentially an injury or a condition that you have to deal with. You know, just, um, you know, if you, if you get your arm amputated, for example, you're not unhealthy. You're, you just don't have an arm. And, and you can still do all sorts of things in really healthy ways. In fact, back to my master's thesis, uh, like the medical community defines health as functioning according to design. So if you are designed to do certain things, like be relational, which humans are designed to do, and be empathic, which humans seem to be designed to do, or, you know, all those sorts of things, the, the, the more those are in fully deployed, the, the mentally healthy uh, one would one would be um, so yeah I think I'll stop there that's kind of mm-hmm. how I'm seeing it yeah Michael would you add anything else no I think I think I'm I'm aligned with uh, with all of all of that I, I think of mental health as um, as uh, as setting the stage like like Dave says for being all you can be mm. and and more and more I'm thinking of of, of mental illness as as uh, I think I think more and more of it is something medical that uh, that can be treated and uh, and the I'll just go a little bit a little bit further into Corey Key's work. I mean the the, the idea uh, the idea in that is, is you you can have a mental illness and and you can function uh, you can you can have high high levels of mental health um, um, and have a mental illness at the same time and usually it requires a finding a way to to manage that mental illness. So the the um the the ana- the medical analogy that we've referred to is is diabetes right that it, mm. so you can you can you can have it it's a condition and you can treat it and and when you treat it and when it's managed um you you can function in a in a complete way in all areas of your life so mm. t- tending to to separate them separate them that way and that that kind of medical analogy will can that can be played out in a number of ways? I won't, I won't say uh, won't won't say more now, Peter. But that's uh, that's uh, I guess I didn't add anything to it, but that's how I see it as well. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And in this conversation, we'll focus more on the mental health aspect because a lot of our listeners here are you know just people like me who um, you know we're all living our lives. We have busy lives. Mm-hmm. We have families. We have friends. We have communities. Work that we're part of. Um, and sometimes it can get overwhelming and it can feel like you are sometimes alone or disconnected or, you know, unclear about what your purpose is, um, which it doesn't mean you have a mental illness per se, but you might start feeling like your mental health is not at a place where it could be, um, perhaps Mm -hmm. with the right resources and the knowledge and application of it. So, and I really, I found this interesting. I pulled this off your article on, um, online, which described, you know, uh, the world health organization describing mental health as state of well-being in which every individual realizes his or her potential can cope with the normal stresses of life can work productively and fruitfully and is able to make a contribution to her or his community. And I love this definition. I didn't know this existed until now. And it's so holistic it's so human um, and it's not about coping or surviving. It's about thriving in our lives. Dave used the word flourishing, which I love. Um, 
you know, so I guess my question to you guys is how should we start reframing mental health in our society? You know, what, what, where are we backwards right Mm -hmm. now in this concept um, to, to shift this thinking? And feel free to take that wherever in any parts of, mm-hmm. or like it could be individual too, right? Like individually, I should be thinking about mental health in a different way, or maybe structurally as a society, we should be shifting resources. Um, another broad question for you guys to tackle mm-hmm. there. <laughs> well, I can start if you want, Michael, um, and and you you can fill in all the things that I I don't get but you know like to me the first big shift is actually making that distinction between mental health and mental illness and and the vast majority of Canadians myself included till like three years ago had no idea there was a Corey Keyes model and and by the way I believe he's on that World Health Organization board that created the definition Um, and the the um, so I think like step one for me is how do we get this out to the world that mental health is, uh, yeah, is a different thing. And obviously, if you, you know, like you were saying, you struggle with things and you don't know your purpose and, and you're questioning and you start languishing, right? You move mm-hmm. down that, that thing. And if that goes on long enough, it likely can trigger mental illness or, or move you down the other way on, on that axis. But I think if people understood those two things as distinct, it would free them up a lot to actually work on their mental health without the anxiety of thinking they're also working on their mental illness or, or that, that somehow it implies that they could have mental illness because there's still real stigma around mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. And seeing it as, as a, in two continua um, kind of immediately removes that stigma because you can still have a stigma about mental illness and work on your mental health, right? If, if that's, you know, a, a, a way you go. Um, but the other thing, and, and, and I'll stop and I'll turn it over to Michael, uh, the thing about mental health, seeing it that way, is now it becomes far more about choice and intention mm. than, um, than kind of um, life circumstances, right? So, you know, like, like diabetes or whatever, you get that, well, it could have been something you did, but it probably wasn't. Um, you know, it's just something inherent to, to who you are. But mental health is something you can say, hang on, I, I can do something about this. I can become intentional about it and I can start improving it, which doesn't mean I can ever, you know, be as perfectly healthy as, you know, I, I'm capable of. Maybe that'll never happen. But it's now something under my influence, right? Under my control. And I think that makes all the difference in the world, just even knowing that. Right. Like as soon as you know, hang on, you know, all these stresses and strains and stuff that you, you were just describing, Peter, hang on, I'm creating them. Right. Mm-hmm. Like in the sense of I'm taking them on as important and I'm taking them on as things I want or things I feel like I need to deal with. And as soon as you realize, hang on, yeah, I'm, I am taking them on. Right. I really do want more money. I really do want a better job. I really do want a you know, higher social status. Well, now you're into a choice mode, and, and that just frees up everything. Mm. Michael, how about you? Yeah, uh, I I like the, I like uh, I, I like that, and I'm 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 aligned with that. And I guess um, Peter, the question is where where um, 
I think your question is how ought we to be thinking about about yeah. mental health, right? And, um, and of course, and for your audience, this is we're probably talking to a converted audience, right? That is that they're, right. they're pe- people like you, and they get mental health and they get what it is. One of the, I think, one of the things that Dave, Dave, and I were very excited about um, about uh, thinking about career development as a um, as a mental health intervention. And um, and to the point almost that I was uh, I was I was uh, was so focused on the potential of just that right. But the reason I mention that is uh, is not to sell books, <laughs> um, but uh, but but I was so focused on the potential of that idea. But one of the things that that's really really clear is it's one of many many pillars that support mental health and. Uh, and uh, and what what I'd like is if if we if if our thinking about mental health became um, analogous to thinking about physical health and physical mm. illness, right? As uh, as uh, that we we um, that that uh, we, we started thinking intentionally in a stronger way about about all the things you can do to support mental health mm. and to and to improve it. Um, and that we and that we sold it in this, yeah, I guess, as sold it to uh, to everyone as something that's desirable to do in the same, same way that it's 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 uh, desirable to take care of your physical health, right? For all for all the benefits it it uh, it gives you towards uh, functioning completely in your life. I'd 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 like it if if we sold that idea more, right? And and then thinking about career and careers being that would be part of it, right? But I'd. I um I think that there's a, there's a lot of things that um, that uh, uh, degrade our mental health. And I had um, I've had and I work with university students, right? So so um, so one thing that comes to mind is just an example, right? But would be um, how social media is consumed and uh, and its impact on on mental health, right? What 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 those sorts of things do. Um, the the value of getting a good night's sleep, of eating proper, of getting exercise, right? all these all these things that contribute to uh, to mental health, and uh, and then the one that's sort of obvious, right? Like they're like Dave and I, have re- we've referred to it as things that people who care about you will tell you to do, right? Like like are you getting enough sleep, right? Mm. Um, so I I I'd like to see it valued in the same way. Uh, uh, as uh, as physical health and that and that we really really focus focused on that and one of the things that i think in our uh, in in our work and with this this the kind of the recent projects we've been working on it is always the case that if you're talking about mental health that people are actually thinking about mental illness right and and uh, and i don't think dave i don't think we've gotten away from that i think that's still alive and well peter you mm-hmm. probably find that as well but yeah that that's you probably deal with, with your podcast probably when they hear the name of your podcast um, mm. pe- people at least you know, most people probably are thinking mental illness when they hear about the mental the, uh, the the topic for your podcast yeah yeah i i think it's it's changing with more awareness um, but it's the the pace of change is still very slow there's a lot of definition that needs to be clarified <laughs> And then we can have the conversation. I think people are willing to have the conversation now. It's just a matter of getting to a place where there's common language. Um, mm. And this, this, these types of conversations help, hopefully, for, for anyone listening. Um, at least for me, it's really helpful. Um, Michael, I just want to kind of build off your point and ask a, a follow-up to, you know, it's so easy to connect something like physical health, you know, and eating well, 
eating, eating well, doing the right exercise and all that to contribute to your well-being. But I, I don't think people really make the connection about our career development as part of our mental health, um, you know, uh, schema framework as well. Yeah. Why is that the case? Like we spend more times with our colleagues, coworkers, bosses than mm-hmm. we do with our families and friends. And, and yet we don't really give it the same kind of um, elevation it deserves in the mental health conversation. Why, why do you think yeah. that's the case? I think, well, I think, uh, I, I think, I think we're uh, indoctrinated with a, with a model growing up that, uh, um, that, uh, that I guess it, that, uh, that links happiness to, to, uh, to, to uh, other outcomes. And uh, so we don't end up thinking about career development or, or career choices as being a way of expressing who we are in the world of honoring our values and, and finding a way to express our interests and to, and to, to do, to do work that we, that we care about. We end up like what, what I end up, uh, I'm just, just going to think of my work with students, but what I end up, up, up teaching them, I think sometimes how people get off track with their career decisions. Right. And, uh, and, and a lot of them are, um, uh, it, a lot of them it's, it's, uh, I think it's a desire to be significant in the world and, uh, and just to take kind of maybe two, two big ways of doing that. One would be to make a lot of money and another one would be to have prestige in your occupation. Right. And, and so I, I, I talk about law as an example. So law is an amazing career. Um, if, if you like spending your time the way lawyers spend their time and if, and if you care about those sort of things and if, if law law affords you the opportunity to do things you want to do, and if it allows you to to take care of other parts of your life, right? But but um, when it's been looked at in the in the past, the, the the top two reasons for choosing law as a profession are money and prestige, and it works perfectly if law law becomes a way to to do things you really want to do. And pe- people have different ideas about this. I can talk about that in a in a second. Um, but what happens often is people end up forsaking um, essential parts of their life sometimes in order to pursue a, pursue a career path that uh, that doesn't fit. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I think that that's one of the we we get it wrong because we we don't know how to think about uh, the decision uh, in a in a in a holistic way. Um, but I, I uh, it's a I think it's a it's a big but that's how I think we get it wrong because we don't really we don't really teach it in a in a proper way in school, and uh, and we don't have models for for people that are really really thinking about the decisions in a big way. Yeah. Yeah, I wish um, you know it'd be it'd be cool if there was for every job out there a day-to-day here is what your life will look like if you're a lawyer or a doctor or a accountant or whatever it is um to really feel like okay this is what life would look like um yeah 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 you know part of the problem with that and it gets back to your point peter about the analogy of you know newtonian mechanics and quantum mechanics and what you learn in school is this really simplified dumbed down version Mm. of of work of occupation and of career. And so, um, you know, you, I, somebody did this study once asking high school students, I think it was American, but it would be the same in Canada to name as many occupations as they could just to write them down. And I don't think anybody got a hundred, 
Well, there are 40,000 occupations in Canada. Hmm. So you start thinking about this idea of what's a day in the life of those 40,000. That, that's a lot of days, right? Like they even, even start thinking about them. And they, they are complicated, right? And we, we get into this sort of um, schooled, you know, like elementary school kind of mind about this, where we think in terms of occupational title, like lawyer, nurse, doctor, or the, the 15 that maybe your average high school student can name. And, and we, we don't think in terms of what the work is, right? What the purpose is, what, what problems we're trying to solve, right? Because as Michael said, we're just, it, everybody goes to the money and then to the status, right? It just drive me nuts creating products for high school students, right? Because they'd always want to know, you know, well, how much money does it make? And, and it wouldn't matter that this is built for you, kid. Like this, you're going to be the happiest human on earth if you do this. No, yeah, but what does it pay? Right? <laughs> like that's the, the question. And you think about it, when you're learning this stuff, you do tend to go to the concrete, right? This is why Guinness World Book of Records used to be the biggest seller for junior high students, right? They want to know how big, how fast, how smart, those sorts of things. And we, we, we got to get into the nuance of this way earlier. Hmm. And we got to get into this idea that, that it has something to do with you, right? Hmm. Like we have a real economic focus on uh, career development, less so than Europe, but we have a huge one here where it's, it is about money and, and status and opportunity, not about value, interests, reasons for being, meaning, purpose, hmm. what, you're, you know, what you want to do on this earth. Um, a colleague of ours, Candy Ho, who's at uh, Quantlin. No, yeah, Quantlin, Quantlin. Poly- so deep. Yeah. Um, she uh, is working on uh, taking the UN uh, goals for sustainable development hmm. and using those as career anchors, right? So instead of asking, what do I want to be? You ask, what world problem do I want to solve? Wow. And within each of those world problems, there's several thousand occupations that can contribute, right? Yeah. Um, but now you're, you've got something far more purpose-driven that you can say that this actually connects with me and my heart and my motivation and, and, and my reason. Hmm. And it, it's complicated. And mm-hmm. yeah. How do, you, how do you incorporate that into career conversations? Because, you know, the prestige factor, the economic factor, the what will mom and dad say, family members say factor is like easier to check off because you've been hearing about it all your life. But the elements that you, that you just talked about, like what's happiness for you, what will create impact, like those are more nebulous, right? Um, so how do you make it real for you know, people, whether they're just starting out their career or mid-career, late career, for them to think about those in a really thoughtful way that meets who they are. You know, this is a way better question for Michael to answer. So I'm going to give you just a quick, uh, which is like one of the things I do with people is just ask them, okay, once you've got the money and prestige, what are you going to do? Because mm. then they'll finally be able to do what they do, right? Or what they want to do. And then you get, oh, well, then I can go volunteer doing this or I can do, you know, do this or I can do these hobbies or whatever. And now you start figuring out where their heart lies. Mm-hmm. But uh, turn it over to a real counselor here. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I was, was uh, where I was thinking of life role, uh, Dave and Peter. And um, and one of I'm going to this might be a left turn, Peter, but it 
but it relates. One of the um, one of the things that we want to you know, want to teach people is that um, we tend to we think of career as being much bigger than just work too. We think of it as 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 being all the life all about all the life roles that you play and uh, and so when you're planning for work, um, you're you're not just thinking about a job. You're thinking about how that work how that work path allows you to express yourself in all the different parts of your life mm. um so so that that um i think i think that's part of the process when, when you're talking about about fitting career decisions one idea is is they they don't they don't usually happen in the moment they happen uh, over over a number of well they happen across their lifetime and uh, but we're accumulating evidence all the time that factors into our career decision making. But what I want, what I want to teach students in workshops, and they have all the things like they want prestige, and they want to, they want to, they want to be significant, and they want to make money, and uh, and a lot of people want to honor their uh, their parents' wishes, right, and the, the expectations of their community. Um, and uh, and those are those those end up being important too, and you need to think about those. Um, but I end up wanting to teach uh, teach students about uh, about uh, life role, and to really emphasize the idea that that when you're when you're thinking about work and completing a degree and entering the labor market and a path forward in a in a chosen field, you're also thinking at the same time about how that work's going to allow you to do all the other things that you care about. Mm-hmm. And um, and work meets some of your interests, and it meets some of your values, and it and it allows you to meet some of your needs. Money's money's important for a lot of things, and uh, and uh, uh, you're planning for meeting certain things with work, but work ends up just being one part of it, right? So you're also planning for uh, leisure activities, and for family life, and for uh, and, and for travel, or if you have a passion. Um, career decisions uh, and end up being much bigger because they support so many, so many other parts of our lives. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, I don't know if this, I'm thinking this is the, an, the answer for part of the answer that you're looking for is we really want people to know that career decisions are much, much bigger than choosing, choosing the right work. And, and I think, so here's the other part um, uh, is that work, Work isn't everything, and for and for most people, it's not the most important part of their life. So you have to think about the other parts in order to make fitting fitting work decisions. Yeah, yeah. As well, um, if you don't mind keeping your career counselor hat on for a little bit longer, I'd love to be <laughs> get a little bit tactical with this um, because I'm going through a career transition myself, um, where I was laid off a few months ago and. Um, given an opportunity, really, it's a conversation I've had with my employer about moving on. We've been talking about it for a while. And I knew being in sales and marketing just wasn't my calling. Um, mm. It's not where my strength and skill sets lie. Uh, although I've built a background in it, and I feel very proud of, of that, and I think it will be useful. Um, I'd like to honor myself a little bit more and really figure out what what work will fit who I am. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going through kind of the questions that you're posing that I'm sure many of your students are thinking about now today about, you know, how do I balance making a living and being comfortable and feeling safe with, you know, financial um, aspects yeah. while also making sure I can do the things that I really enjoy. Um, so 
I'm wondering, you know, where do you start in a conversation like that? What sort of, if you have criteria or exercises that you help students go through to think about more holistically what that life looks like for them, yeah. which career is a part of it? Yeah. Um, I can, so I, I, uh, I run a workshop. Um, Dave and I have talked, we've used the workshop actually as a, um, just as an evidence, uh, evidence piece in some of the discussions about career as, as uh, mental health. Um, uh, but, but in the workshop, I, I, uh, I am, int- I'm interested in, in models. And when you've, when you've, uh, when you've seen someone doing something and you had that feeling, right. And, and just, I'll just go a little further with that idea. It, it, you don't have to do their work. Can I, Peter, can I, do you have that? Do you have one of those? Like some, you've seen someone doing their work and you had that feeling I'd love to do that. Uh, yeah. Um, I do. Uh, do you need, do you want an example or? Oh, no, yeah, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you could, <laughs> yeah, but, but share it. Yeah, we could do it. Why don't you could, we could, we could talk about that just for a second, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, please share. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> this is going to sound really, you know, uh, uh, not stupid, but just, I, I loved playing baseball as a kid. So <laughs> I grew up in Japan and baseball is like a religion there. And mm-hmm. I just imagine, so like a batter going up to the batter box and the level of concentration and focus they have in that moment, in that kind of being in that flow, um, is it's really inspiring to me, you know, like just, and expressing your athletic potential, whether it's athletic or academic or whatever, just being in that moment, being focused uh, and disciplined because it's yeah. a repeat rinse and repeat in that specific sport. So, yeah. So you're, that came you're, to mind. Yeah. And is there, is there a specific person, a specific player that comes to mind? Um, it, it'd be like a, a I don't have a specific player, but like a second baseman that I was really a big fan of growing up for the Tigers. Okay. Second. And that, um, and, uh, and then one question that I would, I would would try to identify what, what uh, this person was saying, you, you were watching this person play baseball and you had the feeling of, I'd love to do that. Mm. And the question I'd have is what in your mind, what does he care about? Hmm. I think he, he cares about, um, being, you know, just focused in that moment, making sure he can get the bat to the ball, um, making sure he can play a role on that team. Uh, you know, a second baseman is typically not like your best player. They, they're in that role because they're kind of like, they can't do the shortstop role or they, they're not a, a big hitter or anything. So, and I really admire that, you know, um, I, I like being, a part of a team um, to play a big, yeah. small part in the bigger role. So the, the craftsmanship and the ownership involved with being that, that role on a team. Yeah. So, cool. and so that, that would be, that would be an example. And all of those things um, that you're listing there, I, we'd probably, we'd tilt that and say, those, those probably reflect um, thing, things, your own, your own qualities, right? Your own attributes, Peter. When you see someone doing their work, usually it's better if it's if it's a specific person because you can you can you can point at it right. um, a, a bit more specifically. But I usually I say what what do they care about? And it's really what you're observing is how you understand what they care about, and what's the value that they bring to that work uh, that makes them stand out in your mind. And what you're observing 
is their skills. And Chancellor, you you have uh, you have uh, you have those as well. And you and you like some of the things they like, right? And so those those end up being, it's a way of a way of engaging people in in uh, thinking about it. Mm. And I ask, I guess I ask more. Um, I'm interested in interests. What do you like? What have you always liked? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you, what do you shop for on eBay? Do people shop on eBay anymore? I don't know. Um, uh, what sort of information do you look for? I want to know about values. But what do you care about? And particularly, I, I like the idea of natural abilities as well because I think that they they overlap with uh, interests and values as well. Mm. So what what are you what what is effortless for you? And it's not that your friends can't do it, but there's ways that you add value that are uh, that are. It's easy for you to add value. It's easy for you to get better at it. Right. And um, and there's some. I think there's some links between what we do well and. Uh, and career satisfaction thinking and, and all of these things that there, there's more, but all of these things will point out is, is what, what we know are anchors to career satisfaction. Mm. Um, and it's, and so, but it ends up being just really, really understanding um, all these different parts of yourself and then starting to think about work in that way. And then what Dave said, I'm going to go back to something Dave said is we, we have so little specific information about work and the world of work. And so that one part of it is really gathering and organizing information about yourself, thinking about yourself. And then another part of it is really starting to gather information about, about what's out there. And, mm. uh, and I think it's gathering from like consuming it online and reading about it, but it's also going out and talking to people. And as you get closer, you want to have some experiences. You might like, you do actually want to volunteer. You want to go and try things out. So mm. I'll, I'll stop. Those are the kind of things I would be, be, uh, but I want, I want to engage people in starting to think about it. So right. that's, that's my, my main focus. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, what role do you guys think fun, creativity, innovation have in our careers? Cause like, it's, it's one of those things that we tend to push aside, you know, Michael, as you were talking about, like, what did you do as a kid? What were your interests and hobbies that the idea of just what will be fun and, you know, play for you? What if you can make that a job kind of, you know, comes up to me, but it's also like one of those words that comes with its own baggage about, well, you can't have fun when you're doing your job. It's a job that that's why it's J O B. So like, what, what do you guys think that, what role does that play in our, in our careers? Well, you know, for me, and when Michael was talking about the things he's looking for, he used the word interest, right? And um, sometimes the fun stuff is, would, you know, would be interest, but um, part of interest too is just what do you find enjoyable? Mm. You know, what do you find completely engaging? You know, you talked about being in the zone and, and being in flow, right? And, and, that you can actually do without any values attached to it, right? You can just, you know, get into something because it's so enjoyable, right? That that time disappears and all that. But, you know, getting back to the title of your podcast, right? At the end of it all, it might not be meaningful, right? It might have just been totally fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think language is huge around this. So if you use the word fun, uh, lots of people will immediately dismiss it. If you use words like engaging, interesting, compelling, um, then people go, well, yeah, of course, work should be interesting, compelling, enjoyable, right? Um, Like you shouldn't have to hate what you do, 
you know, to put it negatively. And, and so I, I just think language has a, has a lot to do with it. Um, and, you know, and, and like we use, we've used the term over the years around, you know, following your passion, but that gets so misunderstood, right? That people think, well, you're just following kind of whatever your whims are, right? And you're not paying attention to reality. And, and for, you know, for, for our organization, passion is that set of interests you have, like what you find enjoyable and compelling, but also those set of values, like what's important to you? What, you know, what, what do you, would you give your right arm for? But also your belief systems about, you know, uh, uh, how you see the world and who you are. You know, as uh, Michael said, your, your kind of natural, natural inclinations, right? And, and those four things come together to draw you towards things or push you away from things, right? Or leave you neutral. And um, uh, I think we ignore those. Well, I know we ignore those to our peril. And it doesn't have to, it's not like your, your, your work role has to capture everything. But I, I think getting back to intentionality, it's far more about knowing that you've chosen a work role because it captures what you want it to capture. Mm-hmm. And maybe your, your parental role captures something else and your, your role as a citizen captures something else and your role as a volunteer captures something else, right? Mm. So that you, you can pay uh, attention to it. Just a, a quick aside, but it sort of combines this topic with, with the practical uh, uh, application you were asking about. Um, this fellow Marcus Buckingham is not a career guy. Uh, wrote one of the best career books of post 2000 and it was called um, what was it called now focus on your strengths or something like that but anyway the idea of it was he had this cute little acronym right sign s-i-n-s-i-g-n and and the idea was to pay attention um, to things that you're fairly successful at like typically when you do it they kind of go well that that you're you're um, uh, I think it was inclined to do, right? That you, you just kind of, you know, uh, fall into it. And G in sign was growth, that, that you're, you're curious about it. Like you just can't help yourself learning about it, even though it doesn't do you any good to learn about it, right? If, you know, you're just curious. And then N was, I think, need, right? That you just feel this, even, even if you're not all that good at it, you just feel this great need to do it. Mm-hmm. And so Buckingham, he's a great example because, he was a terrible stutterer, apparently, when he was a kid. And yet, whenever somebody, you know, a teacher would say, Who's, who wants to read this aloud? He'd jump up and do it. He couldn't help himself. Mm. And then everybody would laugh at him. But he had such a need to be a speaker. And in fact, he's one of the best speakers you'll ever hear. Uh, he's so articulate and compelling, right? And, and uh, anyway, like my point around that is there's a million ways of getting at this stuff. Yeah, it's just re- I find it's really hard to do alone, mm. and and that having you know, and this is not a plug for career counseling, um, but it is a plug for career counseling. <laughs> yeah, having, having somebody to talk to in a structured way, and that can be a friend, right? Right. But like you know, you you go through these sites that ask you about your interests and your values and all that, and that that's that's great and it's helpful, but at some point you got to say this stuff out loud, I think. And, and you got to talk through with somebody who's not just in it for a chit chat, right? Like mm-hmm. they know you have an intention around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I found it extremely helpful working with Andrea, um, my career coach. She has asked me questions that I would never have asked on my own, 
nor would I have kept myself accountable to asking and sticking with. And I think that has made a huge difference. Um, and it takes time too, right. To discover this kind of thing. It's just, it's a process of self-discovery and building self-awareness. Um, and I, I love, thanks for the recommendation for Marcus Buckingham's book. Um, I'll put the link, I'll, I'll find what the book title is and put it into the show notes. Um, are there other resources or um, steps that you recommend, you know, folks who are listening to this contemplating a, a career shift or, uh, you know, just starting out their career um, to, to do, to read, to explore uh, career coaching, probably one of those mm-hmm. things. If you're, if you want to have somebody to keep you accountable and ask you good questions, but what, what else would you recommend folks do? Well, I got a few, but Mike, you go first. Otherwise, I'll just okay. go on and on. <clears throat> well, I, I guess um, it, in, ter- I get in terms of, uh, um, I think of it as the two big pieces of information, Peter. On, on the one hand, there's there's you, and on the other hand, there's the world of work, and uh, there's there's all all there's all the things you bring and all the things you want. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, in terms of resources, I use that mostly for exploring exploring the possibilities in the world of work and i think of um i i mean i i guess i think of being a good consumer of information right we, we have an excellent website in alberta um this is quite quite comprehensive in terms of the the types of self-assessment activities you can do um but it's but it's uh, also it's a repository of so many uh very very complete uh career profiles so i i use that it's it's a uh, it's uh alice uh, ww W dot A L I S dot is it is it uh, and I'm gonna you're gonna have to put it in, you have yeah to edit, we'll put it in the show notes and, yeah and put that in the show notes <laughs> I use I use Alice I use uh, I also use Onet online which is a is a large U S website um, that just it but it's uh, it just has so many occupations and there's there's forecasting and that's applicable to Canada as well. Mm. Um, I use a school finder sometimes for thinking about, uh, about post-secondary, uh, post-secondary opportunities as well. Mm. But, but, uh, you know, more than like there, there probably isn't, I'll use those more as a, as a, as a source of exploration. Right. And, and what's more important is to, to have the desire to, to find out what's out there right. and to start, start talking to people and being curious and asking questions. One of the one of the problems with resources is they can create the the uh, illusion that you can get the answer. Uh, you know, I'll go here and I'll get the I'll get the answer. <laughs> right. and that's that is the problem with uh, with online assessments. And I think what what I'm just going to echo what Dave said. You know, to to talk to someone and to and to to take your time organizing your information and to really think about the information that you're coming across. And uh, and I think what happens over time is you get more and more clear about uh, about what the next steps are and you, you, you i think uh, people start thinking more developmentally about it um that i can mm-hmm. do this and then even when i've done this over the next year like maybe you're thinking this with with uh, with what you're going through peter you get to the end of this year and then i'm, I'm i'll have some other decisions to make right and mm-hmm. uh, i'll finish this program and i'll have decisions to make or i'll start this job and uh, I'll think about what I want to do with this organization. So I, mm. so there's, there's great, there's great resources, but, uh, but I uh, really want, I guess I want to instill in, uh, in my clients, the idea of, of kind of being hungry about gathering information 
um, from from these resources, but also also uh, also by talking to people, by having experiences. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you, know, you Dave? The the Alice site, which is the Alberta Learning Information Service that Michael pointed out, um, is actually one of the world's most comprehensive career development websites, and and it's probably one of the world's best kept secrets. It's certainly one of Alberta's best kept secrets. Um, and uh, it, it's phenomenal in terms of the information it has, but also the help it can provide and the tips and the, and the range. Because what I find difficult about recommending any resources is it depends who I'm recommending it to, right? So, you know, Marcus Buckingham stuff hits a particular kind of reader, right? There's this book on, you know, live your life by design or something out of these, uh, Stanford, I think. That's very popular right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it hits a certain kind of person, right? Um, and so part of the, the the thing is figuring out, you know, what what's going to work for you and, and uh, how to make use of that. And the only way to do it is to start just trying stuff and seeing what resonates, what doesn't resonate and, and, and that. Um, but back to websites, you know, oddly enough, um, uh, Alice is a, a remarkable one and it's canadian which is great because is it available it. for non-canadian audiences as well or oh, yeah it's, to be? it's free okay. you, it's, you can be anywhere in the world and and no problem but you know new zealand has a fantastic website australia has a fantastic like these are the governments of uh new zealand australia and uh there's a third one that i can't think uh, actually england's uh, united kingdoms is is good um and they're free and they're public and they have just tons of information but uh, yeah, it, the other thing, just in terms of resources, is um, everybody you meet is potentially a resource, you know. I, mm. I was teaching once uh, a bunch of police officers, and I was in this room, and I, I'm, I'm putting the materials out, waiting for everybody to come in. And the, this fellow comes in, a, a sergeant from somewhere, and because he'd forgotten something in the room from the previous class. And, and he said... Uh, he introduced himself. He says, so what do you do? And I tell him, and he says, oh, yeah, so what's fun about that? And I tell him, and he says, yeah, and how is that important? And I tell him, I go, hang on, what? why are you asking me this? He said, I have asked that of everybody I've had more than 60 seconds to talk with for 20 years. Wow. Like this guy knows more about the labor market than anybody on earth because he just asks, right? Like think about asking all your neighbors or people you bump into taking out the garbage and, hey, what do you do? And What's fun about that? And, and man, you learn stuff, right? And you start learning what, what resonates. And, and one other very simple tool um, in my day, it was the three by five card. But in your day, it's, uh, you know, the notes function on your phone mm. is just keeping track. And this is part of what Buckingham does too. But keeping track of um, any time, you're just kind of feeling great. And you go, hang on, I'm pumped here. Why? What's going on? Well, and it could be because it was fun. It could be because it was important. It could be because it was, you know, connected with some big relational thing. But just even noting that uh, is is super helpful. And and a really important one is when do you feel proud of yourself? Hmm. There, there's this guy out of California. I'm terrible with names, sorry. Um, but back in the 70s, he created this idea of motivated skills and and he would look at, um, uh, he would just have you think about in your whole life, maybe five times, you know, five instances where you felt really proud of yourself. 
Mm. You know, it might be, oh, in grade three, I made everybody laugh at the teacher, right? But then think about, well, what was it about that, right? Like, and it gets back to Michael's idea about your natural sort of gifts and inclinations, right? Like, this is back in grade three, and you still remember it? Right. So what's going on there? And just teasing those sorts of things apart. And that's where the notes function is super useful because you can, mm. you can write these little things down and then go talk to somebody about it. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Uh, hopefully we can, um, uh, I can collect all the, the resources and, and links that you mentioned uh, into the show notes. But I, I love in particular the low-tech solutions, like mm. asking questions, yeah. being curious, taking notes about these moments that you were proud of, like those, yeah, those are so easy to easier yeah. to do than, than um, yeah, some of the other things out there. So I love it. Um, you know, we're, we're starting to run out of time and I want to get to two questions before we, before we jump off. Um, one is uh, just going back to mental health and, and feel free to tie this back to your own lives and your kind of career development thinking, but what are some practices that you do on a daily basis to maintain and, um, you know, increase your mental health? Are there particular habits or rituals that you have? Um, Michael, why don't we start with uh, you? You see, you look ready to uh, answer this question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I was sometimes say to my, I say, don't look at me too closely, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, for my, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I think I'm fortunate. I seem to only need uh, need five or six hours of sleep, uh, Peter. Wow. And uh, but I, fi- I find if I'm if I'm taking care of like the physical end of things, um, uh, that makes such a huge difference, right? And then uh, and then uh, a big thing big thing for me, and it's it's at the heart of uh, of the idea of career and mental health. But it's but managing managing stress, right? And uh, and uh, and trying trying not to I mean this is, is an ongoing problem right for for me or right? since I'd be personal about it but but taking too much on so and uh, really needing to find a way to say say no to things that are peripheral mm. and to find a way to cope with the stuff that uh, that really matters right and I'm using using that language in a very specific way but um but it's it's about you know if you're thinking forward and if the feeling and the thought that you have is, I'm going to, I'm going to make it through this. Um, uh, like I, what Dave said initially is, you know, so much of, so much of this, of, of career is you actually do want to take on some challenging things and you want to push yourself and there's meaning. It'd be really, really uh, vitally meaningful to, to, uh, to, to push yourself and to try to do hard things and to follow your, follow your, your what you're, what you care about, what you're, what you're passionate about. And, uh, and of course, along with that is, is going to come large amounts of stress and, and worries about whether or not you can, whether or not you're, you're going to make it right. And, uh, and if we can, if we can take care of ourselves and if we can, if we can learn, uh, how to cope, that's going to be, that's going to be good for our mental health. Right. So, so I guess I, I mean, I think about the, I think be, be in, in our work, in, in our workshops, the workshops Dave and I have done, we think, we, we think about being a good animal. So. So get exercise and sleep and eat properly, and then find a way. I think to find find a way to make your stress manageable. And I know that you that it, no one does that perfectly, but uh, but if you can uh, if you can find a way to cope with the stuff that you care about, that's that's going to make a big difference. 
Yeah. yeah. But, don't, but I'll just say, don't look at me too closely, uh, <laughs> Peter. No, not at all. I, I, those are great pieces of advice um, that we can all benefit from. Dave, what about yourself? Well, you know, it's interesting when you asked it, my, uh, I stopped for a moment because I'm not so sure I do things on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more, a little more kind of strategic than tactical in a way. Like in the sense of, so here's a, a strategic thing that doesn't have come up daily, but I, I don't hang around with toxic people for very long at all. Like, and, and, uh, um, it, and, and I have a low threshold for toxic. Like it's, um, and, and it's probably not even the right word and it's very selfish, but it, it is this idea. I want, I want to work with people. I want clients who, I want friends, I want neighbors who um, don't necessarily agree with me on everything. That That's not it at all. But who, um, I don't know, come to things with a certain spirit around where at the end of it, uh, I, I may totally disagree and all that, but I've got more energy than I did before or I feel better about the world than I did before I was ch- chatting with them on average, right? And so that's huge for me. And I pay a lot of attention to that. And um, the other thing is, is, and again, it's not daily, but when, you know, as Michael said, you start getting too stressed or whatever, is kind of what we were talking about earlier, is just coming back to this idea of choice, right? Like, who chose this? And, and then I go, oh, that was me. I chose it, right? right? So now I go, well, should I ch- choose something differently? Right. And, and so like I might choose to do, you know, uh, some big project that, that's incredibly stressful. And when it gets incredibly stressful, stressful, I could choose to just stop. Right. Give the project to somebody else, lose the money or whatever. Right. And then I realized, no, no, I actually want to do this thing. And I just got to figure out a better way of doing it. And, and that becomes sort of the, the third piece in my mental health strategy is, is, um, Seeing uh, not everything, but a lot of things, just as a uh, a learning task, hmm. right? That that if things aren't going well, either I shouldn't be doing that thing, and that's the walk away mode, right? Or uh, I got to get better at it, you know. And and uh, you know, why is it frustrating? And you know what's I mean, frustrating about that is sometimes I will work on something for a long time and then realize, no, I just don't like it. I got better at it and I shouldn't have been doing it in the first place. Oops. Right. But that happens, you know, it just happens. Right. Um, so yeah, other than, you know, eating exercise and, and for me, it, it's working with my hands. Like that's a, one of my interests. It's not all that important, right? It's not a value, but I have fun working with my hands, fixing cars or, you know, repairing the house or whatever. And, and that, kind of counterbalances all this uh, sort of intellectual stuff that I do uh, uh, for work. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, We only have a few minutes left, but I I do want to ask this question um, and maybe I'll give you guys a minute each to answer this, which is like the shortest amount of time I've given anybody to answer this question, but it's the the purpose of this podcast and it's uh, Ikigai, the reason for being, Um, you know, Michael, we'll, we'll start with you, but what what drives purpose in your life? What's your reason for being? Uh, it's, it's it's never sounds right when I say it, but I but I uh, I want to 
I want to to make a difference, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's not not just in in work. I I want to I want to uh, I mean I do want to make a difference in my work, but I want to make a difference in my uh, in my family life, and I want to make a difference in uh, in my friendships. So I, I say I um, more and more it's uh, the ma- making making choices that that reflect a, a better use of my time and a, and a good use of my. I guess a good use of what I bring, but I want I want to use my energy to make things uh, better if I can. So I, I think that, I think that's it, and that covers a lot of ground, right? I, and I see actually I see, I see it all. I think I see it all that way. But, uh, mm. I love it, Dave. For you, okay. Well, as I mentioned when we met, part of me thinks it's a trick question, right? The singular reason for being. Right. And and it's something. By the way, that's what my dissertation was about. I was was meaning in life. And and uh, the the more I, I've come to think about it, it is more reasons for being. And and are, is there a way of them all hanging together, like making a difference, which Michael said. And and uh, so for me, there's a, a few reasons for my being. And and you know, if any one of them went, I'd be a less happy, less healthy, all that. But but they're they're there. And but they. Uh, they tend to center around yes, making making a difference, but doing so in a way where where people can l- um, learn and grow and actually be who they are, and doing that through figuring out ways to just simplify concepts for people, like to connect mm-hmm. ideas, to simplify ideas, because that's what's fun for me, right? Like I, I like model building and I like you know playing with ideas. And uh, I'd like that to uh, not just be for my own purpose, right? But actually to to contribute to other people being able to see themselves or see the world uh, differently in a way that works for them. Mm, I love it. Um, th- this is this is wonderful, and and thank you for um, indulging me in that conversation in that in a rapid fire, quick format. Um, it's hard to do as it is, but um, I love both the idea of making a difference and then also. Um, finding ways to, you know, combine different areas of life. It seems like both of you really think about your lives in a holistic way. And uh, I, I love that. I think I can learn a lot from it. Um, before we wrap up, um, where can people find you as, uh, you know, in the interwebs or uh, if they want to learn more about you, where's the best place for them to go? Well, in, uh, my organization's web, uh, website uh, is life-roll.com. So uh, roll, R-O-L-E. Um, and uh, you, you can learn sort of what we do there. And, and we, we're a business-to-business organization, so we don't serve clients individually. Um, but uh, you can still learn kind of what, what we do. And, and typically, when our site doesn't get too dusty, um, you know, there, there's interesting stuff to read and links to other things, but sometimes it's not my strength. So sometimes you have to blow you, the dust off your screen when you get to our site. That's great. Um, and, my, and, and I think, and for me, I think the, the, the majority of useful information for your, for your people, I think it's going to be on your website as well, Dave, on it. We have a career development and mental health page that you can you can link to and we we have a blog there that we're, we're writing more more for practitioners uh um but that's where uh, i think that's 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 where my information is is these days peter yeah. yep yeah. 
Perfect. Well, I'll link to all of this in the show notes um, and let people who are listening uh, explore your work further. I know you're both on LinkedIn as well, right? So people can connect with you there. Um, But thank you for opening up this conversation at the intersection of mental health and career development. It's such a new field and for me at least. And it's so nice to know we have thinkers like yourself working on it, creating resources and um, really combining things so that Uh, people can think about it in a holistic way like we were talking about earlier so thank you so much for your time and uh, we'll hopefully talk to you soon and thank you peter i appreciated the questions and uh and the thought you thought and preparation you put into it well and it was it was for me it was one of those living examples of you know talking out loud and having them back and forth is just a way of clarifying who you are what's important what you know how things have changed so thank you that was fun awesome Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Special thank you to Hugh for the theme music. You can check them out at hearhue.bandcamp.com. If you're interested in learning more about the Ikigai Project, you can check out the blog at ikigai.blog. And if you found this content useful, please subscribe or tell a friend or family member about this podcast. I'll see you next week for another episode of the Ikigai Project. Take good care for now, everyone. Need to feel love